Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the Apostle Paul having written in such depth and length to help us today to understand your mind and will. Please give us calm minds and hearts to hear your word read and preached this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome once again. My name is Barry and I'm going to preach to you from the Bible today. I'm very privileged to do that. And uh, we're going to look at a passage in the book of Ephesians, uh, more correctly, Paul's letter to the Ephesians, because he wrote this short book as a letter to some Christians in Ephesus that he was very concerned about and he loved very much. Now, uh, in Paul's day, Ephesus was quite a, a major city, a very important one, and it was in what we now know as Turkey. And uh, Paul had spent quite a bit of time there on his travels, uh, preaching about Jesus, teaching people more about him, and uh, eventually uh, some of those people became Christians and followers of Jesus, and they started meeting together and formed a church there. And so most of them had become Christians through Paul's own uh, ministry. And uh, But he couldn't visit them anymore, even though they were very precious to him, and he cared a lot about them, because uh, when he wrote this, he was in prison in Rome, and uh, he was going to end up, uh, being martyred there. He actually was beheaded eventually. Um, and he knew his time was coming. And by this stage, he knew he'd never see these Christians again. So uh, he wrote them this letter to encourage them. Um, and uh, we're so privileged, I always marvel at this, how privileged we are after more than 2,000 years to still have this letter uh, that he wrote to these Christians. So many centuries have passed, and by the amazing uh, power and goodness of God, this letter has been preserved. So uh, we can read it this morning as though it's written to us as well. Now, uh, we've been working our way through this uh, letter here at Trinity Church, and I know that many of you have also been working your way through it in your own churches. And uh, we've got today up to the 
end of chapter 3, which means we're almost halfway through because there are six chapters in Ephesians and uh, next Sunday, God willing, we'll finish the third chapter, so three out of six, uh, even I can do that. That's uh, halfway through, so we're making excellent progress. Um, now, uh, this is a prayer by Paul for these Christians, and it begins in chapter 3, verse 14, and it's just been read to us. Now, first impressions are often very, very important. And uh, when I read a passage like this, I like to just stop and think, what really grabbed me there? And what I noticed at once was how often Paul uses the words power and love in this passage. They're really buzzwords here, very, very important. And we're going to see that in a moment. But I want to make some general comments about those two words and what they mean first before we get into the letter in this passage in more detail. Now, they're important because of the way Jesus uh, used these words or said things that uh, emphasise these two things. So Jesus uh, tells us in the Gospels that the greatest commandment, the greatest commandment of all, is that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength and love our neighbour as we love ourselves. That's the greatest commandment Jesus said. And then uh, just before he left this world to go back uh, to his Father in heaven, uh, he told his disciples he wanted them to go into all the world and make disciples, make disciples, and that's a pretty tough assignment. That's quite hard because a lot of people then, as now, don't really want to hear the gospel. So uh, he told them they needed power from him to do that. And he was going to send the Holy Spirit to empower them. And he said, now you must wait in Jerusalem until I've done that, uh, and then you'll be ready to go when I've filled you with my power by the Holy Spirit. So we need both love and power if we're going to do what Jesus told us to do as his followers. But in my experience, most people, and I'm talking about Christians here, most people gravitate towards one of those and forget how important the other one is. And the effect of that is very, very serious indeed. Um, now, you may be, and I hope you are actually, I hope you're a very naturally loving person because people like that are very nice to know. And if you're a very loving kind of person, you'll probably end up thinking that you shouldn't really try to convert anybody to make them into something that they're not already. Because you'll think that isn't a very loving thing to do. You should just be kind to people, accept them, and love them as they are. And so you'll probably do all sorts of other very good things for people and think that you're obeying Jesus, that you're evangelising them, when really you're not. And eventually you'll lose the gospel altogether. You'll even forget what the gospel is. 
Now, on the other hand, if you're a naturally strong kind of person, you know, you've got a strong personality, uh, you've got strong personal convictions, you'll be inclined to be rather authoritarian with very high expectations of what others ought to think and do. And uh, you'll start using your authority to uh, dominate other people rather than truly love them. And in the Bible, the Pharisees, some people call the Pharisees, are very religious, are very important uh, in Jewish religion. But uh, Jesus said, you chaps are like that. You lay heavy burdens on people that they can't bear. And uh, so these uh, Pharisees ended up uh, being enemies of Jesus and his gospel. They had a lot of power, but they had no love. Now, the moral of that little uh, story, if you can call it that, is that we need both these things, and we need them in their proper balance. Uh, we need both power and love, and God is the true source of both of them. Now, Paul wanted these early Christians to know that and to experience that in their lives, and that's why he prayed for them the way he did. Now, with those big ideas in place, uh, I want to look more closely at the passage, and I want you to notice three things in particular about it. And the first one is this. I want you to notice who Paul prays to, who he addresses his prayer to. Now, listen again to verses 14 and 15. For this reason, Paul says... I kneel before the Father from whom every family and on earth derives its name. Now what that's telling us is a prayer is a family thing. You see, you notice the words Father and family and name. I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Now that last word is pretty tricky, so let's take that one first. You see, names meant so much more in Paul's day than they do today. My name's Barry, I've already told you that. And as far as I'm aware, it doesn't mean anything. In particular, it may mean something. <laughs> if it does, my parents never told me it did. And uh, I don't think there's anybody in our family history called Barry, so it's a bit of a mystery why they call me that. And I think they probably just called it because they liked the sound of it. I don't know whether you like the sound of it, but I'm stuck with it anyway. That's my name. But it doesn't have any particular significance. But consider these names in the Bible. Abraham, father of a multitude. Ruth, companion. Samuel asked from God. And especially the names Jesus, which means Saviour, and Emmanuel, God with us. So those names really mean something, obviously. You see, in Paul's world, a name expressed something about a person's character and God's intentions for them. So when Paul says every family derives its name from God, he means 
it gets its character from God. In other words, family is God's big idea and it's good for us. In fact, uh, God created the first family. He created a man, he created a woman to be his partner and helper and then he said, be fruitful and multiply and that means have children. So, what is a family as God intended it to be? It's a father, a mother and their children. With the father having a special significance in that family as representing the fatherhood of God over the whole family, including himself. So every family as God meant it to be should know that it doesn't just have a human father but a heavenly father as well. And the whole family should worship their heavenly father, give thanks to him, obey him, confess their sins to him, ask his forgiveness as their heavenly father and the father should do that himself as part of the family. In fact he should lead the whole family in doing that. Now I know that we have many different kinds of family from that in our world today and, and they did in Paul's day too. And we have that for various reasons. Some of them are unavoidable, like bereavement for example, and other disasters that happen to us. And some of the reasons we have different kinds of families is because we chose to have different kinds of families. We live in a society that's done that. But what I've just described to you is what God means by family, what God intended every family to be like. Intend to be a unit of people that owes its character to God. Now the same is true for the church that Jesus founded. When his disciples asked him how, to, how they should pray, he said, when you pray, say this, Our Father, who is in heaven. He said, pray together to God as your heavenly Father. The church is a spiritual family of people who know God as their Father, their heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ. And they seek to love him and worship and serve him together. That's why church is a spiritual family. And I'm very glad I belong to a church. And I hope you do too. Now Paul says here, when I pray for you, Ephesians, Christians, I kneel before our Heavenly Father and I bring you to him as his children in my prayers. That's who he prays to. Now the second point is this, what does he ask God the Heavenly Father to do for them? In other words, what does he pray for? Now listen carefully again to verses 16 to 19 and here's where those two big words, love and power, come right into play and uh, I want you to notice them particularly. Here's his prayer. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He, God, may strengthen you with power 
through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a prayer. All right, this time I want to start with that expression, inner being. Inner being, what does he mean by that? It's what we might call the very centre or core of our being, of who we are. Now we all know what our outer being is, or our outer selves. Just look in the mirror, you see? That's our body with its various parts. Those we can see like our arms and our legs, and those we can't see like our kidneys, our lungs, etc. They're not so pretty, but they're also parts of our physical self, our outer self, our body. Now, did you know this outer self has a core as well, at least so my physiotherapist friends tell me. And I find that when they say that, they usually mean our lower spine and the abdominal muscles associated with it. That's our kind of chassis, if I can sort of imagine us as cars, you know what I mean? It's kind of basic to our stability and our strength. And so I'm told that we need to keep that core of us mobile because that's basic to the whole way we stand and move. And it's very important that it be healthy because that's a great way to minimise pain in particular. So they suggest we do exercises to strengthen our core muscles and keep our lower back mobile. Now, of course, that's all very well, as long as your back hasn't already gone rigid, you know, from arthritis and old age. Um, and so much so that it's, it's absolutely agonisingly painful to move any, anything at all down there. And, and don't laugh if that hasn't happened to you, because it does happen, I warn you. And I can imagine some of you sort of giving me knowing nods at that point with a little ouch going with them. Now, in other words, it gets much harder to keep that core strong and healthy as you get older. It gets much, much harder. And if that's you, I understand. I understand better now than I did a few years ago. I'm sort of getting the idea now. But if that's you, I have good news for you. I'd be glad to hear that. I've got good news for you. And it's this. You've got another core that's much more important than your lower back. And this core can remain vital and strong for your whole life. I almost said that again because such brilliantly good news. Um, now this is what Paul refers to in this passage as your inner being 
sometimes he refers to it as our heart. In fact, he does in this passage, your heart. And he's not talking about the physical organ we usually use that word for, but something deeper, something less tangible, but just as real as our bodies. Now, this is the part of us that's aware of God and has a desire to know him. The Bible says God's put eternity in our hearts. And it's one of the things, in fact, it's maybe the most important thing that makes us different from animals. And it also makes us aware that we're much more than physical beings. We're also spiritual beings because we're made to know God and to love him and to serve him. But we can only be well spiritually if that part of us is in good shape. And I've got more good news for you. It can be. It can be, no matter how old we are. So listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, he says, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Now, Paul's prayer in our passage today is all about that happening for these Christians. You see, to remain spiritually well, so that they can live a godly life with joy, they needed, and we need, more than the kind of power and love that are just aspects of our human personalities. We need the love and power of God to fill our inner being. And that's what Paul prays for here. Listen again. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he, God, may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, the love of Christ is the love of God. He is God come among us. Now, for praying for these Christians like that, you see, Paul is helping to establish them, to make them strong in the love and power of God. Now, I want to say to you all, that's one of the most beautiful ways we can help and care for our brothers and sisters in the family of God. To ask God, their Heavenly Father, to make them strong in their inner being by establishing them in his love and power. And look, if you want to pray for me any time, just pray that for me. I'll be very, very happy for you to pray for that for me any time. Don't wait for me to give you prayer points. Just pray that for me. And I'll be so grateful because that's what I need and that's what you need most of all.
That's what Paul prays for. And now finally, what does Paul really want most of all? What does he want most of all? What is his greatest desire as he prays this prayer for them? Well, he tells us that in the last two verses uh, where he prays that God will do something even greater than strengthen them personally. And I want you to listen here for the words glory and church. Okay, I'm nearly through, so just keep awake. Glory and church. Listen for them. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That's what Paul wants most of all, that God should be glorified in his church. Now, that will only happen if you and I remain spiritually strong and well ourselves. The simple reason that we are the church. Just think about that for a moment. You see, Paul has said in chapter 2, the church's spiritual temple made up of living stones that God has brought together and fitted together uh, to grow into a holy temple in the Lord. That's us, brought together by Christ, filled with his spirit, built together with Christ as a foundation stone uh, to be a living temple. And now, you see, so we can't stand back and just criticise the church as though it's something different from us. We are the church. And the church will only be strong and beautiful and glorifying to God if its members are. So when you strengthen your brothers and sisters by praying for them like this, you don't just help them, you help to strengthen the whole church and that brings glory to God. That's the bigger thing Paul wants most, that God will be glorified in his church. I hope you will be, or you'll want that too, as you pray for your brothers and sisters. Now, here's my concluding remarks today. You're probably wondering if I was ever going to get to them, but here we go. Two things. And the first one I want to say to the men. Men. If God has given you the privilege of being a father, please thank him for that. You know, sometimes you wish you weren't, probably. Uh, you get worries and exhaustion from the children. But thank God that God has given you that privilege, because not everyone has that privilege. Not all men have that privilege. And what I want to say to you is, it's God who's given you that privilege it's God who's made your father. So take very seriously your responsibility to reflect the character of God in your role 
as spiritual head of that family. Now, your wife will probably be better than you at doing many things, especially with the children when they are very young. She will play a very critical role in their nurture physically and spiritually. She'll be naturally more closely bonded to them uh, even before they are born than you are. So you're going to need her very, very much and she's going to play a very, very critical role. But, you know, the ability of those children to know and love God as their Heavenly Father as they grow will be strongly affected for better or worse by they, how they experience your presence in the family as their human father. You're meant, and no, just cut on, I suppose, yeah? you're meant to reflect the character of God, your heavenly father, in the way you relate to your children. So please take that very seriously, because a lot of men don't, but you need to. You need to for the welfare of your children and for the glory of God. So please, men, take that seriously. And let's all pray for the men, for the fathers in our church. They'll be like that. Now, the last thing is to all of us. You know, Paul prayed for these people because... He had a reason, he says at the very beginning of the passage, for this reason I pray, I bend my knee to the Father. Now what was the reason? Well, all you have to do is read the verse before that, in which he says, look, I've heard that you're discouraged because you've heard that I'm in prison. You see, these people thought of Paul as their uh, spiritual father. When they heard that he was in prison and probably going to die, uh, for Christ, they were very distressed, they were discouraged. And Paul didn't want them to be discouraged because that would weaken them. Uh, it would rob them of their strength as Christians. And so he wrote this to encourage them. And here's a very important point. Remember, this is a letter. So he didn't just pray for them, he told them that he was praying for them. So I want to say, everybody, to you all this morning, if you're a member of a church, you've got brothers and sisters to love and care for, and one of the most important ways you can love and care for them is to pray for them to your Heavenly Father. And if God puts on your heart someone who's discouraged today, pray for them. Bring them before God, their Heavenly Father, in prayer. And don't just do that. Tell them that you're doing that, that God somehow popped them into your mind that day and you prayed for them because that will strengthen them even more. So please do that this week. Keep doing it every week as often as you can because by doing that, you won't just bless them, you certainly will, but you'll help to strengthen the whole church and bring glory to God. So that's uh, that we're sort of finished today. So uh, God bless you this week. Please pray for one another and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week, God willing, on Church Online.
Sabavai for now.